0: Occasionally on NANCAST, we'll have important news from NAN or our sponsors. We're so grateful for the support that allows NANCAST to keep producing engaging content and help drive improved neonatal outcomes. It's conference time, and registration for NAN's virtual 37th annual conference is open. There's no doubt we'd all love to be together in person this fall, but budget and travel restrictions, as well as safety concerns related to COVID variants, are keeping us safe at home. NANCE Conference offers more than 40 hours of CNE available live September 13th through 15th, 2021, or on demand through February 1st, 2022. This means you can apply some credits to 2021 and some to next year. Don't miss out on the new virtual ways to connect with your nursing peers while receiving the latest education on hot topics like marijuana and breastfeeding, transplant, acute kidney injury, Down syndrome diagnosis, and so much more. Secure your spot today at NAN.org forward slash conference. Hi, and welcome to NANcast. I'm Jill, your host. As NICU nurses, we all know everything we do in the NICU has long-term impact to our tiny patients. These babies who begin their lives in this environment may experience altered sensory experiences as well as the disruption in the parent-child interaction. Such early experiences can affect an infant's attachment and increase the risk of developmental, behavioral, and emotional challenges. How can NICU nurses provide developmentally appropriate sensory exposures and better understand how factors such as the environment, medical conditions, and interventions of brain structure affect infants' long-term outcomes? This is where neonatal therapists come to action. Using an integrated, neuroprotective, family-centered model, neonatal therapists provide highly specialized and individualized therapeutic interventions in the NICU. Parent involvement and experiences with their baby is vital in every stage of development, and we must encourage parents to work with therapists. It is my pleasure to welcome neonatal therapist Sue Ludwig to discuss ways NICU nurses can collaborate with neonatal therapists to provide neuroprotective care to impact and improve long-term outcomes. Sue Ludwig is a sought-after speaker, consultant, writer, and educator, a licensed occupational therapist and board-certified neonatal therapist. She is the president and founder of the National Association of Neonatal Therapists, where she uses her unique blend of clinical expertise, innovation, and leadership skills to support the advancement of the specialized field on a global level. Let's get right into it. Hi, Sue. Thank you so much for joining us today. So every NICU strives for an optimal, neuroprotective healing environment for infants, but to do this, we really need to work on a multidisciplinary level. What is the role of occupational and physical
1: therapy in the NICU? Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, It's great to be here. And the role of occupational and physical therapy in the NICU is really to optimize development both in the NICU, so kind of in every stage of development within the NICU, but also really looking at the long-term neurodevelopmental outcomes of the infant. So, we're trying to look at the baby that we're seeing today and think about what has to occur developmentally to support that baby's development into the future. So we do that um, through assessments, both standardized observational assessments and through hands-on intervention. Um, We look at neurobehavioral system, the motor system, musculoskeletal system. We look at pre-feeding and feeding, decreasing stress, sensory system, you know, working with parents, et cetera, to achieve those goals.
0: So what does it mean to be a
1: neonatal therapist? That's a great question because I think for a long time we were, we just said, oh, I'm an OT and I work in the NICU or I'm a PT and I work in the NICU. And what it means to be a neonatal therapist is really that you have decided to and are specializing in the NICU. And so you are engaging in NICU-specific education, continuing education, and mentoring and things like that so that um, you are specifically trained and prepared to work in that environment. And you likely also have some you know, real dedicated hours to the NICU. So uh, it, it basically means that we're specializing in that environment. So, what
0: exactly is a
1: certified neonatal therapist? A certified neonatal therapist is something that has only been in existence, uh, wow, for maybe five-ish years. Um, so, in about 2014, and uh, NAT, the National Association of Neonatal Therapists, uh, had a vision about creating a certification for neonatal therapy um, for a kind of a unique certification for all three disciplines, meaning that we would be, um, that these therapists would be certified in a core set of knowledge that we all share. So while we each have our individual uh, scopes of practice as therapists for OTPT and speech, we do share a lot of um, common ground that we have to know in order to be safe and effective in the NICU. And so we've uh, formed a a board that um, was independently run the entire time. And they eventually created a certification process. So a board certification process um, that is independent of NANT, uh, in which therapists can uh, take steps in order to become certified in neonatal therapy. And so the you know, there's some of the criteria for that are, you know, a minimum of uh, three years as a therapist period. So no matter is a licensed therapist in any setting, and it has a number of hours that you've had to work in the NICU, number of hours for NICU specific education and mentoring, and eventually passing um, the certification test, the exam. And so through that process, um, we now have it's at least over 500 certified neonatal therapists, uh, and maybe I they're they're going to kill me, but maybe even quite more than that. Um, And the really cool thing is it's also international. So we've had a lot of international uh, participation because they can go to different testing centers all over the world.
0: So a lot of units tend to use uh, rehab, physical therapists, rehab occupational therapists that work, you know, generalize maybe just in a children's hospital and and deal with older children. Or if you happen to be in a NICU um, in an academic setting where there's adult nursing as well, Um, So those nurses have a little bit more special training. Is that a different kind of model than what you would use in a traditional pediatric rehab?
1: Definitely. So what you're describing, uh, we would call more of a rehabilitation model, where the therapist's primary goal is to go in and rehabilitate something that's already occurred. So a problem, an issue, a challenge neurologically or, or whatever the issue is. And we would be rehabilitating uh, the infant, but in the NICU, um, our main goal is prevention and neuroprotection, and then also, when necessary, we may be um, rehabilitating, uh, you know, something that has occurred for the infant. But as far as how we deliver services um, in the in a more rehab model, the therapist is coming in like they would in regular you know, PEDS hospital or adult acute care, et cetera, and kind of seeing patients and leaving typically. And they're getting a referral. They're coming in. It's very problem-based. So, um, and what we want, what we would prefer is that therapists who are integrated in the NICU, um, they're seeing, they're receiving referrals based on standard criteria. And most, every baby in the NICU most likely who is at risk for developmental problems. So instead of just coming in and treating problems and leaving, um, we are there integrated into the whole team and being able to work from day one in a more preventative model. And then we're just fully integrated into the, into the team.
0: Yeah, I know a lot of um, units that use Epic for computer charting, there's Parts when you admit a baby, if they fall into a category, they automatically get a referral to occupational physical therapy, which is really helpful um, because we start to, you know, discover what babies need help and, and discriminate amongst them um, to get those referrals and to have physical therapy and occupational therapy involved with them from the start. I think a lot of nurses are more in the, oh, this is a reha- rehab model where oh, my baby has a club foot yes. or shoulder dystocia. We need to get rehab here, um, physical therapy here to, to see this baby. But a, a lot of times I, I think we're not putting the importance of preventative intervention and having these neonatal therapists work with our, our babies at birth, um, whether they're you know
1: premature or term. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's how therapists started in the NICU way back when is that we were in that model. That's how we first started to kind of be referred, you know, in into that into the NICU uh, because of those types of issues. But the longer we were there seeing those types of problems, the more we realized that, hey, we could have also been working on this. We could have actually prevented some of the iatrogenic problems that we're seeing from poor positioning or other things or been involved earlier and helped prevent some of the feeding aversion. So over time in history, we've sort of moved back and back and back earlier and earlier in the baby's stay and in their lifespan into that more preventative model instead of just coming in and seeing a problem and, and, uh, and really seeing the baby more holistically and within the infant and parent diet as well.
0: Yeah, I know. Um, in my unit and a lot of other NICUs, um, you know, we really incorporate OTPT in our developmental care committees. Um, we always ask them for their input and what positioning aid would work or can you bring in a positioning aid that you think would work for this population or, or these babies that are, we're seeing issues in. And it's imperative to have such a great collaboration with the neonatal therapists in order to, you know, to provide the best outcomes for these kids early on. Um, Because, you know, we work so closely together. um, And I I think that really helps um, build our relationship with you as well as your relationship with the parents. um, And and to look at it as a more team approach than just that's your that's what you do. And and this is what what nursing does.
1: Yeah, I I couldn't agree more uh, that when we are all working collaboratively, then. Uh, The parents better understand what's going on on many facets with their infants and and we can all contribute in a way that's meaningful um, for the parents and the infants. So in your ideal world, how do you think
0: um, it would look when a NICU nurse is working really well with a therapist, and how would you create that, that kind of relationship on a unit that's just introducing neonatal therapists or, or even a unit that's working closely
1: with uh, more of a rehabilitation model of therapists? So let me answer your first question first, and then I'll go back and, and think about what that would look like in the... As you're integrating therapy into your team, but but I, the ideal picture to me is that you know therapists do have some sort of standard referrals that make them an integrated part of the NICU, and then that uh, our relationship with the nurses is is pretty seamless. Meaning, I'll, and I'll just give a specific example if that's okay because I think it illustrates it better. But I remember um, years. I probably had been in the NICU for 15 years or something by now, but I remember a nurse coming to me real early in the morning and she said, hey, would you mind seeing, you know, baby so-and-so with me this morning? And I said, sure, you know, what's up? And she said this baby was brand new, um, 24-weaker, very fragile, and that the baby didn't tolerate care very well at all um, without becoming unstable. And so she said, I just know that the baby will tolerate the, you know, care better if there are two of us and if you're doing what you do well and I'm doing what I do well I think she'll she'll do better and so we went to the bedside together um, I'm using what I know through my lens to help the baby feel secure to keep their extremities tucked in to do all the things I know that calm the nervous system while uh, that nurse was doing all of the things that she had to do with both hands <laughs> um, because this was a fragile, tiny baby and she needed both hands to do what she was doing. And we worked in just in seamlessly in tandem to provide that baby with a safe experience, a comforting experience, and not um, with very few stress signs, whether they're motoric or autonomic stress signs. And in the baby, because we were both doing what we were, you know, came there to do, but within such collaboration, the baby was more stable, went, you know, kind of back into more of a sleep state more quickly, you know, it was sort of a win-win-win situation. Meanwhile, I'm also looking at all types of things as an assessment. So I'm looking at Is this baby symmetrical? Does the babies, you know, are their movement patterns symmetrical? Are they age appropriate for a 24-weeker? You know, all the different neurobehavioral pieces and things like that. So I'm able to do that while we're doing what we're doing together. Um, I'm not coming in separately necessarily. I wouldn't come in separately assess a (laughs) 24-weeker, you know, and and where, you know, and possibly stress that infant out. To do that. I'm going to work when we're already in there together and things like that. So, so in that, and that's one example, but the main point is that we understand what each other brings to the table. She understands also a lot about, obviously about neurodevelopment and protection, and that's why she asked for, for me to come there. Now to your second question if, that, if you rewind the clock by 15 years, that is not what a nurse would have asked me um, with a 24-weeker and a brand new um, 24-weeker at that, uh, because it would have been perceived then that I would be, you know, having a therapist come and see a baby that, that, that was that fragile would be stressful, unnecessary, what are you going to be doing in there? And quite honestly, I wouldn't have known enough right away to not to be a therapeutic in and of myself, I didn't have the skill set yet. And so um, with time and and experience and mentoring and all of that, um, those things can happen very well. But it takes the under, it takes the therapist being, having like the humility and the teach me everything, you know, as nurses piece, um, so that you can interact well in that situation. And then it also, of course, takes the nurse being open to teaching the um, therapists and working and collaborating in the beginning uh, so that we both understand what the skill set is. So for those new, for the therapists in that more rehab model who are coming in and then say, "Well, what else can I do in here? <laughs> you know what else can I do besides you know work on the club foot or, or work on positioning, um, I think that my advice would always be for the therapist to start with what their current skill set is with very stable infants. And keep becoming more and more educated in the unique needs of of premature babies at every age, and then and then really ask for mentoring from nurses, from doctors, from the respiratory therapists, et cetera, as you move back in gestational age and fragility with those patients. So I'd start where you're comfortable, and then move move back with a lot of help um, and a lot of ongoing mentoring and education.
0: Well, I think we need about 20 to 40 of you to help us with our care for our <laughs> extremely small babies that we have, like the 24-weekers, because it's it's so hard as a nurse to maintain that neuroprotective environment while you're trying to do care, that it would be amazing to have one of you with us at every every time we have to do care. I know that like, I struggled, um, I did a whole IVH prevention bundle, risk prevention bundle, and I used our um, therapist so much to say okay can you help us as nurses to you know correctly handle these babies and maintain a neuroprotective environment and and decrease stimulation and and they were so um, helpful with us and they designed a lot of, um, pictures and and different positioning things that we could reference um, while we're doing our care and and to maintain that um, great healing environment for them. Always remember your therapists are there um, to help Um, even with doing even QI initiatives. Like we need to be more um, collaborative when when we're doing things like that. So um, I'm sure that nurse greatly appreciated all of your help. You are invaluable to bring on um, the correct use of of products, um, and positioning aids that we
1: have on the unit. Um, I think that's also a really important role. I agree. And I think, again, it's, um, it's so great when we can collaborate because as a therapist, I, I may know all the neuromotor and musculoskeletal pieces of the positioning, but I really might need your input in, in, you know, how do we best do that without putting more pressure on the septum if the baby is on CPAP or something like that. So, and how do you want these lines positioned and how, you know, so all of the things when we collaborate, I think is, uh, is really a win-win for the baby. And then we, we really provide the, the highest level of care when we're having those conversations. And I think, you
0: know, the, the medical team is, is also on board with this. You know, the nurses can only push so much, but, um, I, I think the medical team needs to be on board. I think they need to promote, um, this as well and to see the importance of, um, therapy, uh, on these babies, especially, you know, sometimes the docs will say, no, no, we can't do that now. They're, they're not stable, but they're stable enough to do some things. Like we can always try to even just doing, um, calming measures um, or, per, you know, ways to provide boundaries. I, and, I, and I think that, you know, it's important to use therapists even in rounding and, and, and you know, give out your um, suggestions for, for things for the babies that may not be stable enough to really have intense therapy.
1: Yes, I agree completely.
0: Oftentimes, when we tell parents that the physical therapist or the occupational therapist is going to come work with their baby, the parents are, are in shock, kind of like, wh- why do they need a therapist? You know, they're they're not walking because they're thinking more the rehab model that we, we talked about earlier. How do therapists work with parents, and, and how do they get them involved in
1: um, the neonatal therapies that you are giving to their child? Well, the first thing... Uh, just to your point, the first thing I like to tell parents is that we're not here because something is wrong, typically. Uh, not that there couldn't be a specific thing like we were talking about, but that in general, we're here as sort of the earliest of early intervention to help best support their baby's development uh, while they're in the NICU. So uh, I, we typically explain that you know, their, their babies were developing in utero and certain things were happening. Their muscles were developing, their muscle tone was developing, their brains are developing, their senses. That was all happening in utero. And then out here in the NICU, uh, all of those systems have to adapt um, developmentally. And so part of our role is helping their babies' brain, sensory systems, musculoskeletal systems adapt to this different environment. And Uh, That that doesn't mean anything's wrong. It means that they they were just here early or with how things develop over time and trying to really get in there early and teach the parents some really constructive things they can be doing and and while they're instead of just sitting at the bedside.
0: Oh, I agree. I I love to see the parents when they have a a preemie that's feeding and growing and, and making the way out how they're working on exercises and, and they get really involved with their, with their child. And it makes like, they feel like, Hey, I'm, I'm making a change and I'm, I'm doing something for my baby now. And I, I, it's so nice to see that bond um, and relationship grow.
1: One of our primary goals is really connecting that the, ba- the babies and the parents. Uh, Cause we, we all know how powerful that is from a neuroprotective standpoint, from, you know, uh, breast milk production, from just every, from, Psychologically, et cetera, for the infant and mom, and so we do some of that just in very similar ways that you guys would with skin to skin holding and things like that, and being trying to facilitate those experiences, uh, but also trying to help. Um, you know, from my from an OT perspective, it's there can be a loss of role for the parents in what they expected to happen and in what is happening, and how do they feel like a parent when we're all doing the what looks like parenting work to them. And so, uh, you know, getting them involved in right as, as, as much as as soon as possible, as soon as is recommended um, based on the situation, with, with, you know, diaper changes and temperatures and just caring for their infant and uh, in kind of that to help fulfill that role and help them attach to their baby and help them, you know, learn some real parenting skills is one one way that we would uh, interact with them. And so we would grade that based on the baby's gestational age and acuity for what's appropriate, of course, Um, and help them, you know, try to not be afraid to touch their baby or hold, you know, if it's a hand hug inside the isolate or whether it's a, you know, coming out and and holding them skin to skin. And then even, you know, teaching them things they can do way early to help facilitate Uh, You know, oral feeding later. You know, like how do we keep the sensations around the mouth and the face positive and how can they play a part in that? Um, So, all kinds of things that we can teach them about where their babies are in their development that they usually find pretty fascinating about. You know, this is what's happening with vision right now. This is what's happening with your baby's hearing. This is what, um, you know, how we want to help develop their, you know, sense of touch and, Things like that. So you mentioned when you work with parents, you talk about
0: um, creating positive uh, oral and oral environments, and so that goes hand in hand with initiating feeds. Um, can you tell us a little bit of how neonatal therapists are in feeding initiation and, and the role they play?
1: Yeah. So I think uh, we're thinking of of that from day one, as far as from a sensory standpoint, how do we help the infant? Um, have an approach to feeding and tolerate things, you know, around the face and mouth and swallowing and all these things from, from the beginning. But with parents, um, being involved with that, but then when, when oral feeding becomes appropriate, uh, obviously we'd be supportive of, you know, if the mom's breastfeeding, then uh, we're going to be supportive of that. If the mom had chosen to bottle feed and, and then we'd be supportive of that. And I think, you know, to me, one of the the biggest things I had to learn as a therapist over the years, uh, was that it's not about me, you know, that it's not like as a therapist, I need to come in and be the hero of the story. Uh, I don't need to be the first, uh, person to orally feed that infant, um, in order to say, you know, every, you know, this can now begin. And so there obviously has to be things in place in the unit where there's a process and things for assessing oral feeding. But, you know, really trying to have that first oral feeding be with the parents, and them being the feeders. And, you know, obviously, if it's breastfeeding <laughs> that's required. Um, but even with bottle feeding, sometimes we don't think of that, you know, we don't think how special it might be, for the parents to give the first oral feeding. And I just have talked to so many parents over the years where that was devastating to hear on the phone, maybe uh, that their baby, you know, took their first bottle or something like that. And we're excited, (laughs) Um, but you know, they're potentially devastated. And so prioritizing, that relationship and, and giving them the confidence and, and sitting there with them, of course, and teaching them so that it is a safe experience for the infant is, is a priority, of course. Uh, but really having them be the ones that become the expert feeder of their babies um, goes a long way to uh, improve the culture we used to have about feeding and to make sure that the, the lens is really on them because, you know, we're not taking their baby home. So the most important thing is that they get comfortable with feeding, that they understand what's going on uh, and really, really, you know, making them uh, and, it, and it takes the whole unit kind of to prioritize that because if you as a therapist or as a nurse, you want to prioritize that the parent does the first oral feeding, but the medical team is like, why are, why are we waiting till 3 p.m. today or aren't we doing this right now? Or why are we waiting till tomorrow? So, so it does have to be Uh, an initiative that the whole team supports. And obviously we're not going to wait two weeks, um, most likely to start oral feeding, you know, but in, in general circumstances, things are parents are, you know, um, in the unit a lot that that should be a priority. So, you know, I just think as therapists are, we have to consider what is the real goal of that feeding experience beyond all we know, we can use all we know while supporting the parent and not having to do it always ourselves.
0: That's a great, that's great insight. Because I, I feel like we in the NICU kind of work on a, a very rigid schedule. They eat every three hours at this time. And a lot of times we we forget, like you said, that the, we're excited because the baby took a bottle, but like, we didn't offer that to a family member or a parent to, to do. Um, because like, that, that was our schedule and the mom didn't happen to be there and the baby was showing cues so we're gonna do it and and we do that's a it's a whole change in mindset but um you know it's very insightful to hear this as a nurse and and the impact that we have on on the parents um, especially with with these milestones that these babies achieve in the NICU and we really do need to to make that a priority and to make them a priority and not always schedule everything around when it's
1: best for us, <laughs> but maybe when it's best for the parent. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, it does take a lot of communication and doing all of it for the right reasons and having a process. So I feel like it becomes really stressful if someone goes in the next day and says, this is what we're going to do. And, you know, without kind of having the process in place and things like that. So so I think, you know, just taking that into consideration and moving toward it, you know, as a team is you know, more important than, say, doing it tomorrow.
0: Yeah, and and also, I'm a night shift nurse, so speaking as a night shift nurse, we don't have the availability of therapists overnight, Um, and and they're not oftentimes there. And, you know, sometimes parents can't visit during the day, and they're visiting um, on the evenings when the therapists, you know, aren't there. So that's also a struggle, um, you know, off-shift nurses face with, you know, how do we continue these therapies that are done during the day, and and also educate the parents on what's been done, um, and how they can model those uh, behaviors too while you know they're visiting at night. And that's that's one struggle that I th- that I think a lot of nurses face when we're looking at a um, a multidisciplinary approach because they're not there at night. They're not there, and unfortunately, sometimes they're not there when the parents
1: are there. So how do you coordinate? That is a difficulty. <laughs> It is. And I think, again, it takes a lot of communication and also um, and I think as a therapist, I would want to say to night shift nurses or um, I mean, some therapists like in the unit where I used to work, they actually start super early in the morning while night shift is still there. Um, So it's not, you know, at night, like 11 p.m., but it is in the morning and, and that has helped some of that communication and and an adoption of things because they're just seeing the therapist, you know, and talking to them and, and things. But, but I think, you know, as, as therapists, I, you know, going to the nurse and saying, what is helpful for you? So before, you know, I want to share what the plan is, but I want it to feel collaborative and I want it to feel like it makes sense. And what is different about night shift, you know, and what should we be thinking about? So, um, so yeah, but it is tough. I mean, it's probably why night shift nurses love night shift, right? There's no one around. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
0: but I would have, lo- I would love to have you around to do the care on my little babies and help out with that uh, protective environment that you talked about earlier. That would be awesome. But it's just, you know, I, I find myself constantly reading um, notes and updates that are in the chart so I can kind of, what did, what did you do today? Um, so I could ca- continue that. Um you know, during my shift. I know a lot of our therapists take pictures and, and, and put them at the bedside so we can see what positioning aids work best um, for our baby. So we're, we're very thankful for, for that form of communication as well. And I know it's a challenge, no matter, you know, whatever shift you work at, there's different challenges. And that's something that comes with, you know, trying to be collaborative at night and maintaining that relationship. So we talk about everything that a neonatal therapist can do to help the babies and our families, but
1: does every NICU need neonatal therapists? Yes, yeah, so I'm going to have a biased opinion first, but uh, <laughs> but I'm going to say um, not just my own opinion, but I'm going to say yes, uh, meaning that um, it, you know it's been collaborative, collaboratively decided uh, and we were, as an organization of therapists, we were you know, in conversations with the AAP about their NICU verification process and things like that, and and what, you know, what should be present at a level three NICU, a level four NICU from a staffing standpoint for all disciplines. And uh, the paper that was written in response to that um, by Craig and Smith, which I I believe you're going to make available uh, with the recording, uh, is, um, addresses this, but basically in a nutshell, um, that You know, level three and four NICUs, yes, should have OTPT and speech uh, available in 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 an integrated model where they are part of the NICU team, and that level two NICUs should have the availability of trained neonatal therapists. Whether that's you know an integrated model or if there's not enough of a. Demand from a you know bed uh, number of patients and census standpoint uh, that they would be able to call in a more of a consultative service for a neonatal therapist. So depending if sometimes they're very small level twos that might not be able to have you know an FTE or something, but that they would have someone that they could uh, reach out to who is a, who is trained in neonatal therapy, so that uh, patients um, would have access to neonatal therapy. So the short answer is yes. Um, and, uh, and I think that article does a very nice job of explaining why it also has some staffing formulas and things in there, um, as far as number of FTEs. So I think that's, uh, you know, very helpful reference, uh, whether you're a therapist or a nurse or a neonatologist or anyone trying to figure out what that model should look like in your NICU.
0: Are therapists involved in discharge planning and, and providing recommendations for families or for the medical team on how to move
1: forward beyond those NICU doors? Yes, for sure. So we, we definitely are involved in, in discharge education in all of the areas that we have been seeing the patients um, throughout their NICU stay. So we're... <clears throat> hopefully start that way before a discharge, but we're definitely going to make sure the parents, you know, have what they need to continue what we were doing in the NICU at home. And then we also help guide the services that babies may need or may be connected to outside of the NICU. So not every NICU has a NICU follow-up clinic, but if they do, um, we're going to make sure that the appropriate babies are referred to uh, for that from our perspective anyway, and then also for early intervention services that are typically guided by each state and uh, funded by each state. And so we want to make sure that whether it's our role to do that or at least just recommend that, or it depends on what how your unit operates, but we're going to make sure that they're connected so that the babies that are at higher risk or really at any risk for developmental delay will be um you know, connected to their community resources so they can continue therapy. Uh, and we want to do that as soon as possible because there's often a delay between a NICU discharge and when babies first get early intervention at home.
0: So oftentimes these babies already have um, appointments set up before they get discharged to make sure that we don't have any um, gap between care. Is that pretty much the standard of practice?
1: Uh, Yeah, they would have some sort of referral to early intervention, and then um, depending how that state runs their early intervention program, um, they would be, you know, entered into that system. Um, But there, no matter what, there is, in many states, there is still a delay, um, sometimes significant, just by um, how it works, or supply and demand, or all the different factors, there can be a delay. So just as soon as that can happen, um, the better, so we don't miss a lot of you know, little iterations on the way to milestones. <laughs> so I hear that you have
0: some exciting news. And on NANCAST, we always like to highlight people that have amazing accomplishments. So let us know your your news. <laughs> Thank
1: you. Um, yeah, so I wrote a book. Um, I've been working on it for a long time. And I'm finished writing it it's in the publication process. Uh, and we'll come out in March of 2022. And so the the reason I'm telling you guys this is because um, it is kind of an intersection between the NICU and life. So the title of it is called uh, Tiny Humans, Big Lessons, How the NICU Taught Me to Live with Energy, Intention, and Purpose. And so uh, it's a really uh, different book because I'm taking the lens of the NICU and my world as a neonatal therapist and exp- pulling the cover back a little bit to people who have not ever been in a NICU about what those babies teach us every day uh, by how they survive and how they thrive and all of how their systems are developing and all the things that we know are pretty miraculous to watch unfold in a NICU that most people would never have any exposure to. But then I'm also kind of taking that lens of being a trained observer of these tiny babies and sharing what happened when I, when I took that same lens and put it on my actual own life. And what I mean by that is probably in my, you know, mid thirties or so, I was pretty exhausted uh, from working and motherhood and the few jobs that I was trying to do all at the same time and the projects and the research and the stuff. And I was very overwhelmed and exhausted but I was also kind of underwhelmed with how I felt about my life and so I kind of went on a little bit of a journey blah 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 and what I really found was so many of the answers to me kind of getting off the hamster wheel I had put myself on in life and building a life that was more intentional so many of those lessons I actually found back in the NICU and from the babies and from what we know about how to protect someone's energy and how to scatter someone's energy and what early stress cues really look like before we're overwhelmed with autonomic stress cues and all of these comparisons that were really, uh, quite intriguing, um, to apply to my life. And I think will be for all of us, I hope. Um, so that's kind of the, uh, what I hope. And so there are some, you know, tools and insights and practices that are tangible in the book. Um, But it is definitely has a NICU focus, but it is not just for NICU people.
0: That sounds awesome. I think that's very relatable. We've all been there on that hamster wheel. And I I feel that everything that you're talking about and what you're going to write about and explain seems very inspiring, not to just nurses, but everybody out there struggling with kind of finding their why and their purpose in life and and, you know, take a step back. But thank you so much for um, sharing all of your neonatal therapy knowledge with us and, and really expanding our ideas of what you're doing and how we can collaborate better, um, you know, to provide um, a neuroprotective healing environment in our NICU because that's, you know, that's what we're here for, um, you know, for our babies and to have these great, amazing outcomes so they can be the best they can be. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Make sure you never miss an episode of NANCAST by subscribing now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks for your support and letting us into your ears. Have a great day.